Zephaniah chapter 3, or Zephaniah, doesn't matter what you call it, either one is the same book. I call it Zephaniah. Chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. So either open up in your Bibles or scroll down in your phone, whichever you do, and let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Amen. I'm taking a break from the book of Acts this week, and I'm going to preach a topical sermon to you. Last week's sermon on Acts 23, by the way, is posted at sermonaudio.com. The scripture reads, Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted, to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. May God bless the reading of his word. The title of my sermon this morning is Bostic Case, The Continued Evil of the Supreme Court. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray. Father, we give thanks and praise to you that we have this time to look at your word, to look at the state of our nation, to compare the two, O God. Lord, I pray that you would use what's preached here today for good, for each one to sober themselves, to prostrate themselves, to humble ourselves before you, O God, and to live faithful and true to you with the days that you have given us, with the days that remain for each of us. May we live right by you, we pray. Be glorified here in the preaching of your word in regards to this matter of our Supreme Court here in the United States and the evil that they have done for decades. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As you know, I have preached about the evil of the judges in our nation, the wickedness of the courts. From time to time, I've also examined Supreme Court cases. For instance, I went through the Obergefell opinion, which stated that two men or two women could marry, and we saw the insanity of the court in that opinion. How just as in the murder of the preborn, they made it all up out of thin air. Two weeks ago tomorrow, on Monday, June 15th, there was an opinion released by the Supreme Court which declared that businesses could not discriminate against employees or potential employees because they are sodomites or transgenders. So the case had to do with sexual orientation or gender identity. But in reality, sodomites are transgenders. I will not go through this opinion, the Bostic opinion. I will not go through it as I did with the Bergefell. Rather, I will make some comments about it and then address the evil of the Supreme Court in our nation. In this case, Bostock versus Clayton County, the Supreme Court, yet again, wrote law from the bench, which, of course, is a violation of their power. The Supreme Court rewrote in the Bostic case, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which says you cannot discriminate on the basis of, quote, race, color, religion, sex, or national origin, unquote. 
they added and expanded this federal law to include sodomites and transgenders by saying that the word sex includes them, sexual orientation or gender identity. The court claims that the word sex includes sodomites and transgenders, even though the federal record is clear it only meant whether one was biologically a male or a female. In other words, more rights and protections have been given to debased men and women by the state, not by representative government, but by raw judicial power. Franklin Graham said in response to this ruling, and I don't like picking on him as he's not nearly as bad as most of the churchmen in this nation, but he said something many of them say, and I will call him on it. Graham said the ruling may infringe on the rights of religious groups who oppose LGBTQ rights. Quote, it's more than just protecting gay people. I don't think gay people should be discriminated against, but at the same time, Christians shouldn't be discriminated against either. We should have the freedom to exercise our faith and belief and be able to share what we believe, unquote. In other words, let's live in peaceful coexistence with evil. They should have their right to proliferate their sexual perversion in our nation, and we should have the right to sit over in the corner and enjoy our faith. That's the pile of porridge you're left with when you declare what God calls criminal to be okay. Sodomites shouldn't be discriminated against, but neither should we. Do you know how dumb that is? Neutrality is a myth. Somebody's worldview is going to reign, whether that of wicked men or Christ's rule. Sodomy should be outlawed, as it was for nearly 2,000 years throughout Western civilization. Sodomites should be discriminated against. Then this nonsense of businesses having to kowtow to the status boot of lawless debased men comes to an end. The Christian legal experts and all the hireling churchmen in America are happy with this evil opinion by the court because it appears the ruling does not apply to churches. But that is actually bad. You heard me. It's bad that it doesn't apply to churches. Why? Because the church gets a dispensation from the government, but the rest of society is taken into hell. The churchmen and their little religious moose gatherings are safe. But the businessmen who sit in the pews of their moose gatherings have to comply with the evil or be shut down, be put out of business. That's fine with the churchmen. Okay that the rest of the nation be abused and subjected to immorality and injustice as long as the churches do not have to participate in it. The churchmen love it that way. They love it so. The churchmen in America sit in their ivory towers so detached from reality as they have enjoyed their protections from the state while the businessmen sitting in their pews have not. While the preborn have not. And such rulings, just as when they make laws which are evil, but they give an exception to the church, further relegates the church 
to the irrelevant, to a mere sideshow. That's why it's bad. Listen, judgment begins in the house of the Lord. I've waited a long time to see a showdown between the church and the state in this nation. Better the church be persecuted and a stand for righteousness be made. Know how many fraudulent, fake, and weak churchmen would be sifted out if that were the case? If the churches weren't given an exception? They would either have to expose themselves as the whores that they are and embrace sodomy outright, or they would have to make a stand and be persecuted. And that's a goodness. But don't worry. All may not be lost. Though yet another exception was made for the church this time, in the Bostic case, again, just as in the Abergafell case, near the end of the opinion, the judges state in this Bostic case, quote, but how these doctrines, protecting religious liberty, interact with Title VII are questions for future cases too, unquote. Just as with the Bergefell, they're going to continue to redefine marriage. Perverts that they are. They made clear they're going to continue to redefine what constitutes religious liberty. And I can assure you it's not going to go right or good for the Christian church. The Christian church has long decided it wants to be the sugar of the earth rather than the salt of the earth. And if we will not be the salt of the earth, Jesus said the only thing we're good for is to be thrown on the ground and trampled under the foot of men. And that's what's happening in America. That's what's happening throughout the West regarding Christianity. It has nothing to do with certain men's eschatological schemes. Let me assert a very sobering point. While we wait for the Supreme Court to rescind its evil... And cure its injustices and immorality. You know, it's what the Christian organizations, what the conservative organizations, they'll do the same thing for decades. Throw their head against the wall. Let's go to the tyrant. Oh, please, tyrant. Rescind your evil. Yeah, they've been doing that for nearly five decades for the pre-born now. And it's sickening to watch. While we wait for the Supreme Court to rescind its evil and cure its injustices and immorality, the evil and injustice and immorality they have dispensed via their issued court opinions seeps down into the fabric of society and corrupts men. While everyone's waiting for the tyrant to undo their evil, their evil is being accomplished. It is seeping down into the fabric of society, has been for decades. Each succeeding generation actually thinks the evil is normal. Even SCOTUS itself admits this. They admitted it in Planned Parenthood versus Casey regarding abortion. In Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the Supreme Court actually admitted that their original Roe v. Wade decision may have been wrong. But then they said this, after admitting it may be wrong, quote, For two decades of economic and social developments, people have organized their intimate relationships and made choices that define their views of themselves and their places in society in reliance on the availability of abortion 
in the event that contraception should fail. Then listen to what they say. An entire generation has come of age to assume this concept of liberty. An entire generation has come of age to assume this concept of liberty. Unquote. To put it simply, what the court is saying, we have made the murder of one's own son or daughter legal for so long that to change the rules now would go against what is normal, assumed, and expected. It would actually go against what is accepted as our right. Because, as the court says, quote, an entire generation has come of age to assume this concept of liberty, unquote. And another generation has already come of age since 1992 when they wrote the Planned Parenthood versus Casey case. And another generation beyond that one is now half grown up. What concept of quote-unquote liberty that we should assume do they speak of? That the state only wants you to have one or two children. So the vast majority of Americans, sheep that they are, only have one or two children. You should want to have 10 or 20 just because they only want you to have one or two. That's how good people think. But most don't think right. They just go along with the nonsense I got my one or two. And if a third comes along, as it says, quote, in the event contraception should fail, unquote, Americans have the liberty to murder their own son or daughter, butcher their own offspring. What other quote unquote liberty do they speak of? You know, like if you want to fornicate or want to commit adultery and the quote, contraception should fail, unquote, then you should have the quote-unquote liberty to murder that child. That's the liberty they speak of. It's not liberty, it's evil. Did you know that the ability to murder your own son or daughter defines your view of yourself and your place in society? That's what the court said here, right? I read it to you. Quote, people have organized their intimate relationships and made choices that define their views of themselves and their places in society in reliance on the availability of abortion in the event that contraception should fail. Unquote. Utter evil. Bad is good. Good is bad. And it all seeps down in the fabric of society. Well, The dopes are running back to the tyrant. Oh, please, tyrant, undo your tyranny. This is why the interposition of the other branches of government at all levels is so important. They must check the tyrant court. The tyrant himself understands what he's doing. We just read it. And because there's no interposition by the other branches of government at any level, evil gets down into the fabric of society. I've lived long enough to have seen this with my own eyes. I'm 59. The subsequent generations see the evil as normal and operate and operate within the context of the evil. 
And that, of course, raises the age-old question. Do the corrupt morals of the people change the laws of government? Or does the government change the laws to corrupt the morals of the people? An important question that every thinking person should ponder. Do the corrupt morals of the people change the laws of government? Or does the government change the laws to corrupt the morals of the people? I reside firmly on the side of those who assert that it is the government that corrupts the morals of the people through law. And it's human nature which aids and abets what they do through law. These statists have a vested interest to do so because of their status worldview. In 1947, Carl Zimmerman published his magnum opus, Family and Civilization, wherein he predicted that America would soon see divorce for any reason or no reason at all, that we would soon see legalized abortion, and that we would soon see rampant homosexuals within the culture. He said that in 1947, and many scorned him for it. The renowned sociologist came to his conclusions by examining the Greek and Roman civilizations and other smaller people groups. Zimmerman attributed the corruption of the citizens to the decline of the family. However, he details how forces, quote-unquote, external to the family brought about the demise of family. Specifically, he points to the changes in law and economics by the governments. These changes increase dependency upon the state for one's well-being. Zimmerman writes, quote, Economic institutions antithetical, means directly opposed, to the family system arise with the aid and connivance of the state, unquote. The changes in laws and policies by the government, quote, made childlessness popular, divorce frequent. We're living all in that for decades now in America. Every good statist understands that in order to strengthen the state, you have to weaken the family. Here in America, you can follow the history of our law changing and you see that our government, particularly the federal realm, though the states have aided and abetted it all along the way, has given the force of law behind the most base men amongst us for whatever era you look at. It's been going on for decades, decades, and decades. The succeeding generation accepts the changes in law as the status quo. And then further law changing is accomplished in their generation. And the culture descends further into moral chaos and injustice. The cycle continues to repeat itself, and the worst of this social transformation without representation over the last 60 years has been accomplished by the federal courts and the Supreme Court. While Christians are busy priding themselves on not getting involved in politics, they fail to understand the huge impact that public policy has upon all people, including their own families. While you think that you can be indifferent towards the culture war or believe it is lost and all a part of the eschatological scheme you have embraced, it one day knocks 
on your front door. Or a more accurate depiction, breaks your front door down. The culture war is never over. And nor can you be indifferent to it. Not if you love Christ, not if you love your spouse, not if you love your children. Many will soon learn it would have been better to meet the enemies of Christ and of family out in the field, or at least down the street, rather than at their front door. Christianity, God's law and word, offers proper governance for both civil government and family government. Christians need to write of and live out practical application of his law and word to both the magistrates and families. America is now run by thugs. Mindless, despicable thugs. The Christian church, most all Christians, have abandoned the domain of civil government. In fact, they're busy feeling all spiritual for their indifference towards it. The result has been wicked men have filled the void. Their worldview is seen through law and public policy and court opinion, and it is destroying the nation. No, it's actually destroying all of the West. Christians like to arrogantly boast how they have nothing to do with politics because it is dirty, not realizing that is precisely why they need to be involved in it, because it is dirty. We need to bring Christian thought to bear upon it. We've seen the consequence when the church retreats from it. You are living in an insane asylum at this point. The Supreme Court is a tyrant. Everybody should have a bumper sticker, a shirt, put a big sign in front of your house, rent a plane and have it fly over crowds of people if there's any of those left anymore, and say, the Supreme Court is a tyrant. Because they are. And most people do not seem to understand a tyrant must be confronted. He cannot be appeased. You do not go to the tyrant with hat in hand and beg him for relief. Every boy learns sooner or later when confronted by the school bully, he has to make a stand or the bully will continue to bully him. And all of history regarding the governments of men, regarding the history of nations, teaches us this also. If good men do not defy the tyrant, the tyrant has the convenience of constructing the next plank of his tyranny. If good men do defy the tyrant, stand in defiance of its actions, interpose against its lawlessness, then the tyrant has to come out of his lair and show his fangs in order to accomplish his tyranny. And this exposes the tyrant for the beast that he is. It's needed and necessary part of the process. The tyrant always counts on two things in order to get his tyranny down into the fabric of society. One, they count on the people to conform and comply. And most Americans are those people. Second, they count on the lesser magistrates to conform and comply. And I'm here to tell you today, you must not conform. You must denounce the tyranny, you must demonstrate and remonstrate against it, and you must prod your magistrates to act in defiance of it. 
You must instruct them in their duty of interposition. You must show them biblically, morally, you must show them historically, and you must show them constitutionally, legally, that they have the right and the duty to interpose against the evil and defy the tyrant's tyranny. You must demand it of them. You must work to see them removed from office if they won't do it. Understand, if your lesser magistrates do not interpose and stop the evil, they will aid and abet the tyrant in his evil. Let me repeat that to you. If your lesser magistrates do not interpose and stop the evil, they will aid and abet the tyrant in his evil. And that is what the state magistrates have been doing for decades in America. The tyrants count on the compliance of the lesser magistrates to get their evil down in the fabric of society. They count on the state, county, and local magistrates to do their evil work. But when the lesser magistrates revolt against their evil, when the tyrant loses their compliance and conformity, that is when the tyrant knows he has a problem on his hands. Somebody sent me a video last night, so we put out at defytyrants.com this Last post we put out was, will there be defiance in Washington over the governor's little emperor-like edict that anyone who doesn't wear a mask in public will be arrested as a criminal under a misdemeanor? Remember, this is the same governor who let hundreds and hundreds of criminals out of jail because of COVID-19. He's a tyrant. And I put up a picture of him and I can even make a little worthless meme like this, and I put tyrant scum, because that's what he is. Tyrant scum. And any good man should bristle at a man like that. Churchmen should rally, denounce him, take him to task, demand of their lesser magistrates defy. And somebody sent me a thing that I received this morning showing a sheriff in Lewis County, Washington, with a bunch of people surrounding him, And he said, remember this regarding this virus. Do not act like sheep. And he's defying the governor. Amen? Checks actually matter in a federalism. America's founders established a true federalism. In a true federalism, there are multiple levels of government, multiple branches at each level. So we have in America the national government, state governments, county governments, and local governments. The founders wanted it this way so that if any one branch began to play the tyrant, the other branches would resist the branch playing the tyrant, even if that branch was the Supreme Court itself. They wanted it this way because our founders held to a Christian worldview. And the Christian worldview understands that man is wicked and he's in need of a savior named Jesus Christ. Therefore, they did not want power to reside in any one man or any small group of men. That is why they established this federalism with multiple levels of government and multiple branches at each level. So that if one went off the rails and began to play the tyrant, the others would check him, restrain his evil. And I can assure you, America's founders did not throw off a monarchy to establish an oligarchy. 
They did not throw off King George to replace him with the oligarchy called the Supreme Court. SCOTUS is the tyrant. The court is not going to correct its evil. The tyrant will not undo its tyranny. The other branches, legislative and executive at all levels of government, must defy them. Nothing less will do. And this is what our founders intended. The other branches need to check the tyrant because checks actually matter in a federalism. If you take time to review history, by the way, the whole understanding of checks and a true federalism is founded in the understanding of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. If you take time to review history, you will see the court has been wrong and has sustained evil scores of times in their issued opinions and rulings. From slavery to the murder of the preborn, from forced sterilization to the perverting of marriage, the court declared prayer in the schools an illegal act and removed the Ten Commandments from all public venues. They did all this through raw, non-representative judicial power. The federal judiciary and the Supreme Court, oh, by the way, and they also did it through the compliance of the people and their magistrates. All have complied. They act as though they must obey, and they can do no other. The federal judiciary and the Supreme Court has been dragging this nation into hell for decades now, and the churchmen, the pastors and the ministers in this nation have aided and abetted it all. Romans 13, you know. There are few that spit and fume, but in the end, once the court is ruled, they, like the magistrates, hide behind the slogan, the Supreme Court is ruled, all we can do is obey. Because the whole nation thinks they are beholden to the Supreme Court, evil grows in America. The lesser magistrates must confront the federal tyrant and remind the court that its authority has limits. The prophet Zephaniah spoke of the judges and courts of his day that were dispensing injustice and immorality throughout the land, and he compares them to the evening wolves. Zephaniah 3.3 says, that's our text here in Zephaniah, it declares her princes in her midst are roaring lions and her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Do you know who the evening wolves are? The evening wolves are the wolves that didn't get anything to eat during the day. Therefore, they're the most dangerous of wolves, the most vicious, the most bloodthirsty of wolves. They devour everything, and that's what Zephaniah compares the judges of his day to being. And that's what I say the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary is in our day. Evening wolves. We have a wolf loose in America, a wild dog, a ravenous beast, a bear wolf, and it's the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary. And all the land groans for the interposition of the lesser magistrates, to stop the evil. Not just stand there and say, we think it's wrong, but they've ruled. 
Their duty is to stop the evil. They like the status quo because then they can tell their constituents, I would like to stop it, but they've ruled. No, the truth of the matter is they're worthless men who say that. Good men bristle when they see evil, especially when they see the governments of men bringing evil about through law or court opinion. They bristle at it. They want to stop it. They don't hide behind that dopey slogan. How is it that this slaughter has gone on for years and the perversion has been dispensed and immorality and injustice through court opinion has gone on and we haven't seen any magistrates interpose? And you know, the interesting thing about that is Ezekiel and Isaiah both speak about that in their day, how the Lord sought for a man to stand in the gap. That is interposition, standing in the gap, putting yourself between the evil and the intended victims of the evil. And look what the Lord says through Ezekiel regarding the lesser magistrates of his day. This is Ezekiel 22, verse 27. Quote, her princes, the princes were the lesser magistrates of that day, Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain, unquote. Ezekiel also compares the magistrates who are acting immorally and unjustly as wolves. The Lord views those lesser magistrates who go along with the evil as wolves also. Why? Because they aid and abet the evil of the tyrant when they do not do their duty of interposition. Both Zephaniah and Ezekiel also confront the dirty churchmen of their day in these passages, the dirty prophets and priests. And so we must also confront the dirty churchmen of our day. And they are plethora in this nation. Now listen. Only Christianity can stop the evil of this bear wolf. Only Christianity can stop the evil of this bear wolf. Why have the federal courts targeted Christ? Why are they at war with him? Why do they denigrate him? Why do they attack family? Because Christ and Christianity is tyranny's greatest foe. Christ and Christianity is tyranny's greatest foe. True Christianity confronts the false religions and paganism of the cultures. Whether it's the Sanhedrin in Rome in the book of Acts or Scotus in the judiciary of America in our day. True Christianity confronts the idols, evils, and tyrants of cultures. True Christianity comes into conflict with the evils, idols, and tyrants of cultures. Notice the form of true Christianity is wholly opposite of American Christianity and all the Christianity of the West in our day, which tries to accommodate itself to the world, 
to live in peaceful coexistence with the world, to appease and conform to the world, even to where it can live in peaceful coexistence with and accommodate itself to baby murder and homosex, when such behavior is condemned in C-spot-run fashion in Scripture. We have to ask ourselves, and we should have weeping hearts, but we have to ask ourselves, where are the men who fear God? All of present-day Christianity tries to effeminize men. It condemns and conjoles manly behavior. And yet the world is screaming for men who love God to speak, to act. Where are the men who fear God? We have abandoned the magistrates. We have abandoned the realm of public policy under the color of spirituality. We have not lived as though God's law and word speak to all matters of life, including matters of civil government. And so wicked men have filled the void, and the nation is groaning under the consequences of their worldview. We must, with weeping hearts, confess that Christianity in America has made itself irrelevant. We have not been the salt of the earth as Christ calls us to be. American Christianity decided it prefers to be the sugar of the earth. American Christianity likes to be light. And it will accommodate itself to the world in order to be liked by them. And that's why so many Christians have run to the false narrative of COVID. That's why so many have run to the false narrative of this so-called racist world we live in. They want to be liked. They're worthless scum, these churchmen. And they need to be taken to task. Jesus said if we refuse to be the salt, that we're good for nothing but be thrown on the ground and trampled under the foot by men. And so I close by saying this. We must repent. We must have broken hearts. We must have weeping hearts for what we see in this nation. The fatherlessness of young people in this nation. Evil made law by the governments of men. We must weep and we must repent. We must live faithful to Christ with all that is in us and all the influence that we have within our person, within our family, within our church, within our community within our nation, all that is in us. We must live faithful to him in all areas. We must keep our faces low to the ground, utterly dependent upon him as he is the vine and we are the branches. And we must cry out to him. And we must boldly declare his law and word to this nation with weeping hearts. May Christ birth it within each of us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. May Christ be praised. Let's stand up and we'll close in a word of prayer. Father, you see the evil in our nation, the corruption. You've watched it for decades. 
Lord, grant us broken hearts, contrition, repentance within our own lives. Lord, grant repentance to your people at large. Let a great, let this great sifting that is going on continue, O oh God, exposing the fraudulent churchmen who exist in droves. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you have preserved your scriptures down through the ages so we can know your ways and we can know your thoughts. And may we live in obedience to them. And as your ambassadors, may we make them known to the people and to the magistrates. May we make your good news, the great salvation through your Son, known to men. May we not hide it under a bushel, but put it on a candlestick. Tell men what you've done in our lives, calling them to repentance of their sin and faith in your Son, Jesus, Father. To live their lives in obedience to your rule. Lord, we thank you that you have redeemed us so our lives count. Our lives matter for something here in the earth, namely to bring glory to you and to enjoy you. Lord, stir within each one here a fire. Stir within their heart a fire to be faithful to you within their person, within their homes, out in the public realm, everywhere, O God. Help us to live faithful and true to you whose vestments declare faithful and true. We bless and thank you. We praise you. We adore you. We worship you. We cannot thank you enough, O God. And may we be vigilant, perseverant, continuing forward, not lagging or sagging as we reach the goal of the crossing line like so many do but that we would press in even more, desirous of seeking you and walking true with you. Glorify yourself through our lives. Glorify yourself in spite of our lives. We give thanks to you, O God, for your goodness to us. May each home here be strengthened, each marriage Be strengthened in you. May each man do right by you. May he open your word to his wife and to his children. May they take time during the week to speak of the things of you. We rejoice in you, O God, for your goodness to us and ask that you be glorified in the earth. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to take communion. You could be seated. You can feel free to take communion with us as long as you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you not take communion as the Lord's table is only for Christians to observe. But if you are a Christian, feel free to partake with us. You do not have to be a member of this church to partake at the Lord's table here at Mercy Seat. There are some churches that differ with us on that. That's fine. But we have an open table to all believers in Christ.
And this time at his table is massively important because it reminds us of how we obtain right standing with God, that it's always only through Jesus plus nothing because there's only two elements at his table, the fruit of the vine representing his shed blood, the bread representing his body. There's nothing else here signifying to us it's through Christ alone whereby we're accepted of God. There's not these two elements plus a list of all my good works. There isn't these two elements plus um, a list of all my holy living, right? Just this. It's through Jesus plus nothing whereby God accepts us. The good works that we do, the holy living that we display, are the result of our saving faith in Christ. The evidence or the fruit of our saving faith in Christ. In other words, we don't do good works to try and obtain God's acceptance. Rather, we do good works because we have obtained His acceptance through Christ. Amen? And that's why the Reformers said that we're saved through faith alone, but they didn't stop there like the modern evangelical church does. They went on to say, but saving faith is never alone. And what they meant by that is exactly what I just said to you. We're saved through faith alone, but it results in something, namely a changed life. Amen? So we don't do good works to try and obtain His acceptance. Rather, we do them because we have obtained His acceptance. And the Apostle Paul wrote of the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians 11, and he said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, the apostle says, and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amen. We should have been put to death for our sins. God in his mercy sent his son to die in our stead so that if we will believe in him, God forgives us of our sin and we have right standing with God. This is a great salvation and we're to make it known to men. Praise his name. Let's pray.